It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I am your host, Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And it's the first ever Grim Tidings Podcast Grim Panel. It's a very special event today. It's the Metal and Dark Fiction Panel. We've got uh, a few special guests we brought onto the show today because we wanted to talk about dark fiction and dark music. During the roundtable discussion today, we'll chat about the differences and similarities between heavy metal music and dark speculative fiction, be it grimdark, fantasy, science fiction, or horror. What is it about heavy metal that appeals to creative people? What is it about dark fiction that inspires readers? Is there ever a point of being too dark or too heavy? We'll discuss the magic of metal, the magic of great stories, raw, unfiltered, and grim discussion about the darkness that brings us together. That's what I have for the little introduction here for you. Not sure if that's actually going to happen. Because we've got a, a, a ragtag Motley crew who's joined us on the program today. We have uh, Michael R. Fletcher, Dallas Mulliken, and Matt Staggs. Three individuals who are highly creative, very passionate about music and fiction. And uh, I think it's going to be a fairly exciting conversation today. Philip, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty excited for this first panel. See how it pans out. <laughs> the, oh. I'm sure the puns will be uh, in order today, that's for sure. I haven't really been well-versed in metal as of late. I grew up on it, so I may be the uh, low man on the totem pole today, so to speak. Uh, but I will try to add uh, my warped view <laughs> when I can. <laughs> and for folks who don't know, you're actually a, a musician presently, right? Yeah, I play drums in a band, and we play shows in Tokyo sometimes. That's always interesting when Japanese fans don't always applaud you after you play a song. <laughs> so it's kind of this bizarre, like, oh, we're just, just, we're just, just thumbs sitting up there. Snap their fingers? No, it's nothing. Just uh, stare at you. Wow. So awkward. Awkward. Uh, and you're so modest, Philip. The name of the band is the Candy Ditches, the, the, the best fucking band that's ever walked the earth. And they have the best fucking drummer that's ever played. So um, you can check them out on Facebook, right, Philip? The Candy Ditches. Uh, yes, yeah. you can search. See, I'll plug you. you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, just a little very background on my musical experience. I'm a musician as well. Um, I used to play in a punk band back in high school and stuff like that. We recorded a couple of albums. And then my other um, musical background is I worked in uh, commercial rock radio for a while. I worked at KUFO, which is a Portland, uh, a gone Portland radio staple of, of rock radio. So I've been in the industry for a while. So I love music, and I was I've been born and bred on metal. I listened to uh, ACDC in 19. 19- like 87, uh, back in black. And ever since then, uh, it's been a lost cause. So I love, uh, dark metal. I love heavy metal. I love black metal. Um, everything metal. It's my passion definitely as well as dark fiction. So going through the internet, we often have people who cross our social streams. And those are the three individuals that, uh, I've incorporated today is, uh, Folks who've got a varied background from both writing and music. So we've got Michael R. Fletcher, Dallas Mulliken, and Matt Staggs. They're on the line with us as the panelists uh, for the show. And then uh, Philip and myself will interject comments here and there. And then we'll finish it up to close. Hopefully this will go maybe 60 to 90 minutes-ish. We'll see how it goes. But it should be a great conversation. So let's start off with our first panelist, Michael R. Fletcher. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Michael. Hey, folks. So I am Michael R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption, which is a dark fan. Fantasy Grimdark and 88, which is Cyberpunk, which is basically the Grimdark of science fiction. What do I do for a living? Almost nothing. <laughs> Mostly I sit around praying that someone will buy my books so I can keep doing this. I'm from every shitty little farm town in southern Ontario that has more goats than people. Uh, and once I got old enough to flee the house, I got the hell out and came to Toronto. Worked in the, uh, the music industry as an audio engineer, mixing bands and live bands and studio 
local bands. I've done live sound for well over 10,000 bands, and it's kind of amazing I'm not deaf as fuck. Um, so for me, reading and writing came at the same time, somewhere around grade seven. Uh, I discovered Iron Maiden. I think uh, the Peace of Mind album had just come out. Saw it in a Kmart and didn't buy it because I liked the band. I bought it because the album cover was so fucking cool. I uh, took it home and it blew my mind. It was just too heavy. Uh, and that really is sort of uh, me in a nutty shell. Excellent, Michael. Well, thanks for joining us today, man. Uh, it's great to have you on board. Uh, next panelist would be Dallas Mulliken. Dallas, go ahead and introduce yourself. I was in music for 20-some-odd years, started off in thrash bands, and the last last band I was in was kind of thrash, progressive, a little bit of everything, kind of an odd blend. We were a bit too heavy for the people like Prague and not heavy enough for the people that like metal, so we were caught in an odd area there. I, once the, I got out of music, I needed a new creative outlet, so I... I had degrees in philosophy and English and figured I need to use those for something besides saying, do you want fries with that? And so I uh, started writing and just published my debut novel on Winlock Press called A Coin for Karen. And it's a uh, psychological thriller, kind of like Hannibal or Dexter or something. And then I have another series about to come out that is dark fantasy, a very different take on angels and demons. The first one is called uh, Blood for the Dancer. My first album was, for the same reason as Michael, was because of the cover, was uh, Destroyer Kiss, my gateway drug into metal. And I quickly grew along, went to see Iron Maiden with Twisted Sister, and uh, the rest was history. I just got deeper and deeper into it. And live and breathe it as well as dark fantasy fantasy horror love all of those things i do very little for a living as well you know <laughs> so sell myself when i have to you know sperm and blood bring in a little bit of money but other than that not much well alrighty then and <laughs> well it's great to have you on board dallas what was your main uh, musical instrument were you a singer or uh yeah, singer and lyricist. I wrote all all the lyrics for all my bands and helped do arrangements. Musicians uh, that I played with were notorious for having really good riffs, but not quite able to put the songs together. So we would have sepultura riff, goes into testament riff, goes into <laughs> just name all of the riffs based on what they sounded like and smash them together. And over time, we got a little better at, at writing and arranging our songs but yeah singer i guess um i started out as a tate wannabe and kind of morphed into the melodic thrash kind of singers joy belladonna and world dane and people like that and then whereabouts are you from uh, dallas i am from birmingham alabama unfortunately aka hell <laughs> very cool thanks again for uh joining us for the panel today and that takes us to our final panelist, and that is Mr. Matt Staggs. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Matt. Staggs, I'm a veteran of a thousand psychic wars. I live in Mississippi. Uh, I, seriously, though, I am a writer. I've uh, been uh, in the interview and uh, feature writing game for a long, long time. Uh, I started writing about horror, metal, stuff like that back in the early days when blogging was just a, a, a new thing. I had a horror site called Skull Ring. 
Uh, from that, I, I got really into talking a lot to to authors and musicians, and you know, I interviewed Erie Vaughn and uh, a few other guys like that. Uh, as a as a musician, uh, I'm not one, but uh, I'm a huge uh, music fan. Uh, having started with my first metal album, uh, being a Quiet Riot, Metal Health. That's the first one I bought. The first uh, bought, uh, album, and when I say album, I mean literally vinyl. Uh, from there, I, I promptly jumped into the deep end of the metal pool. Uh, with a lot of uh, you know pop metal, of course, uh, it was the '80s. Damn it! Uh, from there, segued into industrial uh, goth. You know, my my uh, playlist when I was a kid uh, would have been stuff like uh, Ministry and uh, Killing Joke, uh, Bauhaus, Sisters of Mercy, um, Sex Gang, Children. You know, you name it. These days, uh, I am a professional writer. I'm also involved in podcasting a little bit. I work for www.suvudu.com, which is a science fiction fantasy site. You can find my writings there, long form, short form interviews, as well as a few other sites. Uh, and uh, I'm also the guest booker and publicist for the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, which is one of the top like three podcasts on uh, iTunes. Now, as far as music goes, I'm really into. Uh, the sword, Mastodon, uh, some of the stuff that people might uh, blanch if I call metal, like uh, Torsh, Baroness. So anyway, here I am, uh, and I'm appreciative of being in this uh, this group. So I don't represent any of my companies or, or employees. Uh, I, I, I'm obligated to make that disclaimer. Well, that then takes us into the beginning of our panel discussion then. Uh, we've got a few topics that uh, we've got listed out here. I'm not sure if we'll have time to hit on everything, uh, but uh, we've got a few topics that we can touch on. We'll try to have some semblance of order uh, when it comes to uh, everybody getting a turn to make sure that they uh, share their thoughts. So, yeah, let's just let's begin with uh, what is it about heavy metal that appeals to you? And we'll start it off with uh, Michael R. Fletcher. I think initially what got me into metal was the um, the rage, the anger, the venting. I, I was, what, like maybe 13 at the time, so we're talking early puberty. No ability whatsoever to uh, to express what was going on because, I mean, at 13 year, years old, you're, you're completely insane. And, and with the English background, I mean, uh, yeah, you grow up like, oh, I must bottle all emotions, don't let anything out. And so heavy metal was that was that out. Uh, and my parents hated it. I remember um, my mom hearing Iron Maiden for the first time and saying, like, oh, this this is just a phase. You'll grow out of it. And here I am, 44. I'm like, yeah, okay. I haven't grown out of it yet. But, uh, yeah, I think you know that's sort of what initially got me into it. These days I, I use metal just as a uh, like a blanket. It drowns out the rest of the world so I can just get lost in my writing. Uh, I can't hear anything else. The house is shaking. That takes us to Dallas. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm a little different. I'm a, you know, everyone always says that music, books, art in general, it's just a matter of taste. Well, they're they're wrong. Some things are superior to others. And I was always a pretentious snob. I enjoy the musicality of metal. Um, I think metal musicians can do things that no pop country those. Those couldn't. I saw once uh, Joe Satriani was on stage with a uh, country guitarist. He's supposed to be one of the best. Uh, his name escapes me. But um, at some point while they were playing together, the country guy puts his guitar down, just sits there and watches Joe Satriani. And afterwards, I asked him why. He said, I can't do that. I can't even come close to that. And I think on on average, that's true. I love the virtuosity of it. 
the singers especially the operatic ones really appealed to me and the complexity of it i got more and more into bands like spiral architect and you know dream theater of course was an early one i just i really and really enjoyed that and i tend to like that i come from classical music probably have more classical music and i'm using classical to encompass renaissance baroque all of the periods i probably have more of those cds than i even do metal and i see a, a marriage between those um, if beethoven were alive today i really think he would be playing progressive metal <laughs> and, so, and growing up in alabama hearing so much leonard scannered and the band alabama i just despised it i hated it i hated everything about nascar and all of the rest of the trappings of the rural lifestyle, and I, it just repelled me. I went as far away from it as I could get. And that takes us then to uh, Matt Staggs. What is it about heavy metal that appeals to you, Matt? I, I got into metal because I was uh, a very sensitive kid and under a lot of abuse. I had a very dysfunctional home life, and my school experience was probably like a lot of other metal fans. Uh, I was skinny, timid, uh, frightened, and... Metal provided a sort of cloak of uh, armor, you know, for me, and uh, and a sense that perhaps I was stronger than than I thought. Uh, and if I was going to be excluded, then damn it, at least I'm going to find my own crowd. And uh, the metal fans in my school were sometimes in the same position. I think that it was one of the guys from the band Godflesh, uh, and I'm dating myself here. Said uh, heavy metal is is something like tough music for uh, sensitive people. And, and I completely agree. Uh, you know, also, there is an element of uh, escapism, both uh, in the sense of, hey, uh, you know, we're going to get out there and be cool and girls are going to like us. And, uh, and also uh, at fantasy as well. You know, bands like Halloween, uh, <laughs> again, I'm old, uh, incorporated uh, a lot of uh, fantastic elements, which were things I was interested in. And from a very young age, uh, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mythology, uh, horror and fantasy novels. Um, and that that rang with that, and uh, and and finally now these days it's it's just kind of part of my genetic makeup almost. You know, I listen to these bands, and uh, and and I I get the blood pumping again. You know, I feel a little younger and stronger again than I might be. Sometimes uh, I'm I'm feeling tired, and uh, when I'm going to jujitsu practice. I will listen to Danzig uh, really loud because I, I, you know, I'm starting to feel a little uh, tired and um, maybe a little anxious about what awaits me. So there's still that, you know, I'm, I'm still in, in a lot of ways a very insecure and frightened person. So it helps me. To what Matt said too, the that's a big deal to me when I was growing up is the the familial community of metal. I mean, you could meet a guy with a Dio shirt on anywhere in the world and talk for hours i mean it was just you're automatically friends if you have a metal shirt on it's it's pretty remarkable the community that we built up and i i think still carries on today and if i could add to what you say uh, the same extends for a lot of what we might broadly call geek uh, culture which is is really mainstream now um you know, waiting in line to see The Force Awakens, which we shan't talk about because we want other people to enjoy the movie, or I won't anyway. Uh, I got in a conversation with a guy ne uh, next to me talking about the new X-Wings because he had an X-Wing shirt on. And these days, uh, you know, I have a Dungeons & Dragons tattoo, a huge D20 on one of my biceps, and that's an instant uh, call to, uh, to like minds, to members <laughs> of my tribe. And, you know, tattoos are too. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> tattoos are almost <laughs> synonymous with metal, and I think the two go hand in hand. Recently, one of my re- more recent acquisitions is the uh, Warboy symbol from uh, Fury Road. <laughs> I always wanted a tattoo, but I figured uh, I thought about it and I said, "Okay, I can get married, or I can get a tattoo." I decided to get married because the tattoo is just so permanent. <laughs> nice. Oh, boy. I Boom. 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 Plus, I hate pain. I would end it up with like one little dot on my arm. I would have said it was the smallest version of the earth ever. <laughs> there's a scene of uh, a, there's an old episode of Three's Company that was about that. They got the dot. But yeah, you could say it's a it's an indicator of how brutal and insignificant all of our lives are. That's the most tattoo <laughs> I'm curious what your D20, uh, what number is on the D20? I'm assuming a 20. Yes, sir. A 20. Yes. <laughs> gotta have gotta have the critical hit on the. Exactly. I wonder if anybody would get a D20 with a 1. <laughs> I would, probably. Critical <laughs> <laughs> fail. I can't think of that now without, I don't know if any of you guys play Borderlands, Borderlands 2. Oh, yeah. Tiny Tina had a. Oh, I love her. <laughs> critical fail. He's like one of my favorites. That and just the, who are the guys that walk around with the big shields going, I want everything you got. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys are great. I wanted to ask you guys, in in regards to your heavy metal foundation, were any of you in a family where where heavy metal was just embraced, where you're like, your parents or (laughs) your family were like, oh, you like metal? That's fine. Oh, uh, my dad and and mom, uh, for all their faults, was always of the opinion that as long as I – was a good person and didn't end up in prison or doing bad things to people. Uh, I, I could like whatever I want. Um, my dad uh, loved Led Zeppelin and uh, and heavy music like that. He liked Ozzy just fine uh, and uh, and loved uh, loved stuff that had a blues root to it. You know, if I brought home uh, Led Zeppelin four, he was he was totally down. There were many afternoons that my father and I, along with the, some of my troubled little friends, would. Uh, and again, I'm from Mississippi. Uh, fry up catfish, listen to Zeppelin. So he was a good guy in a lot of ways, and that was that was one of them. They, you know, except for uh, getting in the way of of my schoolwork, which it, it quite often did. Uh, the things I liked were no concern to them. So no. Dallas and Michael, did you guys not have similar experiences? No, my no, my parents are were fundamentalist Southern Baptists. Great, you know, great people love them to death, but they really didn't understand it at all. When I got into bands, they hated it. My hair down to my ass. They just, everybody in my little rural town thought I was a devil worshiper, a drug addict. And I'm like, you know, probably the most straight-laced person around. But still to this day, um, I told her I was going to be on this panel. She was like, really? What's it about? And I said, oh, the dark fishing and metal. I wish she wouldn't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my parents, I mean, my dad loves like Pink Floyd, Queen, Deep Purple. Um, so, I mean, I probably, Deep Purple was probably my gateway band into metal. Uh, and you know, my mom really just sort of, you know, tolerated whatever I was listening to. You know, it was never like, don't listen to that shit. You know, she, I think she did hope that it was a phase and that someday I would grow out of it. But, um, you know, growing up was never really in the cards for me, I don't think. You know, I, the growing up thing is interesting to me because it seems like anytime you have a hobby that that's a minority hobby, that's instantly what people say. It's, uh, oh, well, you know, it's like cosplay, which I don't cosplay, but it's, uh, you know, one day you should really grow up and stop dressing up and face paint. And then you could look at a football game, which is, 
you know, absolutely uh, acceptable <laughs> here in, uh, in Mississippi and uh, see people that paint their entire house team colors and, and dress up for every game and go crazy like it's a complete bacchanalia, you know, and uh, but that's that's growing up, you know, uh, so it's always it's always kind of like the whole uh, and I was talking about this just a few minutes ago with friends. It's the whole fallacy of uh, and I can't remember what they called it, but it's kind of like the first world problem thing where. You know, whatever's going on with me, it's a, it's not a big deal until it happens to you. It's like I think, okay, well, you want to say first world problem because you know I, my car broke down or whatever. Okay, well, let me. I'm going to smash your iPhone now, so we both have a first world. <laughs> well, oh, don't worry. There's kids starving in Africa. This seven thousand seven hundred dollar phone is nothing to worry about. So, uh, same kind of thing with that. It's it's my interests are medial and stupid, and yours are the best thing in the world. Well, it's a generational thing too. I mean, uh, our parents are at least mine are probably older than than yours. But hmm. you know, Elvis was of the devil. Everybody was going to hell that listened to Elvis and. Eventually, you know, like our music now is played on the oldie station. It's considered classic rock, and we hate our kids' stuff. So, you know, I never got that. I, I sometimes turn on the same classic rock station my dad listened to, and it's like, wait a minute, my music still isn't classic rock. How long do we have to listen to Boston? <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So that that's uh, a good insight into your. Your, your backgrounds that you have there when it comes to your uh, baptism into the heavy metal fires. Um, so let's look at the other side of the coin of this panel then, and let's talk a little bit about uh, dark fiction. How dark do you like your fiction, and how dark is the fiction that you write, if you happen to write dark fiction? Um, so let's start off with you, Michael. Uh, how dark do you like it, and how dark do you make it? Honestly, I, I don't give darkness much thought when I'm buying books. Um, I basically I look at the cover and if I'm like, oh, fuck, that looks cool. I'll read the back. Um, and if it sounds cool, uh, I'll get it. Uh, I, I like epic fantasy. I like high fantasy. I like dark fantasy, science fiction. Uh, you know, I, I really I don't go out of my way to pick dark books. That said, if you look at my favorite books, they're all the dark ones. And in terms of my writing, again, I, I honestly, beyond redemption, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to write something all dark. I just, I, I had this story and I had this background idea. And to me, like, that's the only place that book could go. So I wrote it. And now people are saying, like, it is the grim darkest of grim darkery, the darkest thing ever written, which is, you know, that's kind of crazy. And I'm like... I accidentally wrote a really dark book, which I kind of worry about. I don't actually worry. I don't really care. But I, I wonder what that says about me, because at no point did I think, oh, fuck, this is dark. I was just like, yeah, cool. I mean, my friends read it and they were like, yeah, cool. No one said, whoa, dude, this is dark. And, it's, you know, other people are kind of like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, maybe some of the scenes are a tad on the dark side. I don't know. I think that was my review of uh, Beyond Redemption. It was, it was the darkest shit I ever read. <laughs> Um, so that's, that still holds up. Uh, I haven't read anything darker than that. So it's uh, wait pretty, for, wait for the next book. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm kind of with Michael. I don't, don't really think about that. I just tend to be a pretty misanthropic, uh, pessimist for the most part, a nihilist a bit, I guess. And it comes out. I like darkness in terms of the psychology, the emotional, part of it. I'm not a huge fan of the extreme torture type stuff. I like darkness from from Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, um, and even the writers between the wars that wasn't anything to do with horror, but Theodore Dreiser and authors like that that's just a uh, a crushing kind of impending doom 
that always gets me more. I, I, I think the emotional aspects stay with you a lot longer than any kind of gruesome visuals. Those, of course, are, are good and help, but I was always more drawn to those type things growing up with Stephen King and Robert McCammon, Clive Barker, all those kinds of writers in the more popular vein. They had the gruesome aspects, of course, too, but it was still that that underpinning of characters and what they were going through, how they dealt with things, how it affected them emotionally, psychologically. So for me, that's where the darkness comes from and what uh, appeals to me. is, I guess um, it's a mirror reflecting ourselves, you know, facing your fears, overcoming them, moving on, those kinds of things. Uh, I liked Alice. I was a, I was a horror fan before I was a fantasy fan. Actually, uh, I grew up uh, reading uh, Bob and Cannon as well, and and Stephen King and and all those guys. And I believe Robert McCannon uh, McCammon is actually an Alabama uh, native, right? And I could relate to those characters a lot more uh, as as a kid because uh, I again had some bad stuff going down. Uh, and these days, as far as dark goes, you know, I'm I'm at the age where I'm starting to see friends have you know, heart attack sometimes, or, uh, you know, I'm losing people at my dad, or at my parents' age. I lost my dad, you know, and, uh, if you really want to see grim and dark, it's not a zombie or demon. It's, it's watching your, you know, watching a, a loved one die, you know, uh, in front of your eyes, that's dark. And I think our perception of what dark is changes as we get older, you know, when you're younger, um, yeah, you know, werewolves, oh my God, werewolves, you know, and they're still scary, but no, werewolves, death is so far away from you that this is more of an idea you can understand than, uh, you know, um, having, you know, bury, bury a bunch of your pets and then your friend, <laughs> you know, these days, the darkness that I like and I understand is stuff like, you know, George R. R. Martin, let's give that guy uh, a little credit is dark, you know, people just end up dying for, for no freaking reason. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's that's a dark little message. It's a dark world we live in. Uh, I grew up on as far as the fantasy side, reading things like Robert E. Howard, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, uh, Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, you know these guys that the the identity, the understanding was was that the universe was probably an arbitrary place, and if it took an interest in you at all, it was because it was uh, about to fuck you, um, <laughs> metaphorically, uh, not usually literally. Um, so that was my kind of thing. And also dark fantasy. Uh, you know, I, I love sword and sorcery. I love, uh, gritty, grimy, heroic stuff. Um, you know, where you can read, Hey, uh, somebody just got stabbed with a sword and they may die of infection and it really freaking hurts. That's pretty dark. Look at, uh, Joe Abercrombie, you know, Logan nine fingers yeah. is a pretty dark character, you know, tragic right. character. None of these guys are talking to, uh, Avenger, you know, <laughs> the devil, like on the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. My absolute favorite fantasy series ever. And probably the, the biggest influence as a writer on me right now is Steven Erickson. It, again, it incorporates that metal that I like, the complexity. It's one of the most complex things I've ever read, but super dark, super epic, and just absolutely brilliant. He's an amazing guy. He's, a, he's an archaeologist as well as a, a English was an English professor, and he developed his entire 10 books at a 1,000 pages apiece was all built off a role-playing game that, him and, <laughs> that he and his friends played, so... That right up my alley and just really speaks to me. One of the darkest things I've ever read. 
I think that's sort of what appeals to me about metal or did appeal to me when I first got into it was the epic or complexity of it. The first album I bought was uh, the Black Album by Metallica. And uh, the reason I bought it was because the cover <laughs> the cover was black. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that didn't work. Can't get well. darker than that <laughs> for me listening to like the complex uh, solos and stuff like that was the big appeal for me and the and the vocabulary was out of my range at the time like you know vagabond i didn't know what a vagabond was like what the fuck is a vagabond (laughs) so i had to like look i had to like look up words to to find out things and i think that made me more uh interested in writing and more interested in reading was because metal was felt like more mature complex uh, music it's like listen to iron maiden and learn history yeah (laughs) it it Right, fantasy offers those opportunities as does metal, as does gaming. And one of the things about being around um, some of the people I did when I was a, a kid was that the words I read, I didn't know how to pronounce. There was no internet, of course. And uh, so I'd read a word like behemoth, and I'd be like behemoth, you know, behemoth or behemoth. You know? <laughs> That's kind of like music, because I've thought forever that Hendrix was saying excuse me while I kiss this guy. And um, it just didn't make a lot of sense. I didn't understand that. And then someone told me it was, excuse me while I kiss the sky. I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. What do you still believe it's wrapped up like a douche in that one song? (laughs) (laughs) Wrapped up like a douche. Another runner in the back. So one thing that popped up during that last round is is benchmarks within dark fantasy is who's who's setting the bar as far as the darkness coming forth from the uh, SFF world. Uh, George R. R. Martin was mentioned, affectionately referred to as Papa George here on the Grim Tidings podcast. Um, Steven Erickson was also mentioned. So let's let's go around and uh, and let's talk about maybe both metal and dark fiction. Who do you think's kind of setting the bar when it comes to the darkest stuff that's out there? And we can start with you, Michael. Okay, I, I think readers have this perception that our writers uh, are more aware of other writers and communicate more than we actually do. Like there was a conversation on a Reddit or fantasy recently where, you know, the poster was sort of talking about, oh, I bet the publisher was saying, oh, darker, darker. And the, the writer was was like oh, waving his dick, comparing it to a Joe Abercrombie. That's like, dude, like I never once thought about Abercrombie or any other writer while writing the book. It was just I was telling my story. That was it. I never gave a thought to like, there, there's no competition. You know, there, there is no bar. We're just, everyone's doing their own thing. And certainly, the, you know, thinking the publisher was involved. Like, I didn't even have a publisher at that point. I was just some schmuck sitting in my basement, like trying to write a book. Um, and I, I think this, you know, to some degree, the same probably true of music. I mean, it's not like we're completely unaware of what's going on around us, but I think everyone's sort of doing their own thing. And sometimes shit gets darker and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm not attributing enough of uh, a trend or maybe I spent too much time locked up in my office and I don't know what's going on. As far as listening to, I think, Hypocrisy, uh, Death Metal Band, I I think they're probably the darkest stuff that I regularly listen to. Uh, I listen to lots of heavier stuff, but um, they they capture a mood for me. Uh, Hypocrisy, I mean, I, I listen to a shit ton of Hypocrisy writing Beyond Redemption. Like that was sort of like my band for that book. In terms of writing dark, like I love uh, Mark Lawrence. I've read a lot of his stuff in the last year, but I don't, I don't really see it all as all, 
all that dark. And to me, it's, I mean, it's fantasy and, you know, it's got a level of, you know, grittiness to it. You know, he's not pulling punches, but I, I don't think after the end of one of his books, like, oh shit, that was dark. You know, it, I don't know. Maybe I'm jaded or broken or I just tend not to, uh, I don't think about the books a lot, maybe. You know, I'm kind of uh, accepting. I think Matt touched on something earlier where he said, real, you know, reality, uh, more realistic things tend to be darker as we get older. And I think fantasy, in some terms, doesn't tick off the dark boxes for me anymore. Um, it's, you know, if someone gets uh, decapitated and their head kicked over a field goal, it doesn't really... Uh, doesn't really do anything for me as much as something like Jack Ketchum's uh, Girl Next Door, which is based on a true story. It's really horrific, dark story. The whole thing is terribly dark in, in every capacity. I think, I think what appeals to me about fantasy and metal is the theatrical element of it. Like a lot of the, the metal bands I like are things like Cannibal Corpse, which are so ridiculously brutal that it, it almost transcends. And, and you know, uh, Metalocalypse, the cartoon, is loosely based off the singer from Cannibal Corpse. I just like that kind of ridiculous reveling and darkness. And the same with, with fantasy is if, if it goes over a line, then that makes it cooler for me. But the real horror is, you know, realistic kind of stuff. That that's the darkest kind of stuff you're you're gonna find is the yeah, things I, that touch on realism. I think as we get older, we suffer. We live through more tragedy. And and once you've there are things that happen in your life that a book will never capture. Like you lose a child, and you get through that tragedy, and no book will ever touch that. Like you come out of that a different person. And so like you, you don't read mark lawrence and think well fuck that was dark it's like eh. i think there's uh, an underlying thread that ties it together that i would call empathy um sometimes reading things like if you've lost a child and you read someone who really articulates exactly how you felt that sense of kinship that i'm not alone it was very dark that that darkness can also be uplifting in, in the the uh, lifting you out of that that solitude that you might feel. And I, I've had that happen with music and with books, that just knowing I'm not alone, that, hey, listen to that lyric, that's exactly how I feel, can lift you out of that a lot of times. In your experience with Dallas, who are some of the uh, darkest uh, authors you're reading or darkest music that you're uh, consuming it? At, at, I'm not as up on modern stuff as I should be in the in the world of writing. Since I've been writing, I haven't gotten to read as many new authors as I would like. Um, Cormac McCarthy, The Road, is probably the darkest thing I've ever read. Theodore Dreiser's American Tragedy, things like that. A Long Day Journey Into Night, Eugene O'Neill. And really, I'm just throwing these out to impress you with my English. And even Shakespeare, Tyus Andronicus, and things like that. I just, I don't think we've invented anything new or taken anything darker. Those are about as, as dark and gruesome as you can get. Um, we just, everything's told for a new age, a new, a new cultural reference. Um, in music, the things that really speak to me from a, a darkness standpoint are Opeth, Catatonia, um, Swallow the Sun, their new one, especially the, it's very dense. There's three, 
three albums to it, but the second one in particular is just beautifully dark. And so I tend to like the, those kinds of things, a progressive element to it that's still very dark. What about you, Matt Staggs? What do you think? You know, I can answer that in a different kind of way. Um, I wanted to say, from my experience, that some of the authors that you associate with really dark stuff are actually pretty cheerful uh, people themselves. You know, I've had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Joe Abercrombie uh, a few times and eating breakfast with him. And Joe is is the funniest guy on earth. Uh, very playful, up for just about anything. I got to record an on the spot video on my iPhone of him uh, telling one of my friends, who's a huge fan of his, that he doesn't like him and would prefer that he never read any of his books again. You know, and uh, and there's a video we did online of of us kind of uh, doing an interview, but nothing about it was you know like straight. It was uh, Joe pretending to be a, a bullying, abusive asshole, and, and me getting just completely you know, ripped into pieces by him and him like yanking the microphone from me and demeaning me. And it was funny listening and watching these people in the comments. I don't usually read them, but, but I, I got brought to my attention that some of them really thought it was real. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. Um, you know, I, George R. Martin is, is, uh, a big jolly nerd, you know? And I mean that in the most complimentary way. Uh, I've, I've interviewed him. I've, um, you know, talked to him a few times, uh, nicest guy on earth. None of these people are, uh, you know, sitting in uh, in some castle somewhere, uh, you know, over a cauldron of blood. And if they did, if they were, you know, what, I don't know if they'd be able to write the fiction that they write. You know, you've got to have some degree of kindness and empathy in your heart to even communicate what's awful about what these characters are going through, because nobody wants to. <clears throat> You know, read just like, yeah, and he got his arm chopped off. Brutal. Okay. Wasn't that cool? You know, you don't want to read that. Um, On that that idea, what's your take then on um, people who are extraordinarily funny, but also have this incredible darkness within them, like Robin Williams, Chris Farley, John Belushi, you know, all these guys that took their own life that seem to be the funniest, happiest people around. I guess there's a dichotomy between the two sides you know yes and no i i think it's you know there's kind of a uh confirmation bias that if we look for that we find it and we're defining that by the people that we do know that destroyed their lives there are uh, i know uh a, a number of comedians at least uh via email telephone stuff like that that are absolutely very happy people and are funny as hell. So I, I don't necessarily know that's true. I will say of the creative arts generally, be it comedy, music, uh, there has to be an element of being unhappy or disappointed, dissatisfied, I should say, with the world as it is. Otherwise, there's no reason to create anything. If everything's perfect, uh, then uh, then why are, we, why are we even doing this? I remember Dee Snyder saying that uh, after he got rich and was living in a mansion, couple of beautiful kids, beautiful wife. He just couldn't think of anything to write anymore. There's no teenage angst left. So he's trying to write hit songs about teenage angst, and he was as happy as he could be. Yeah, it's it's right. (laughs) Again, you know, and I hate to use this sort of uh, fallacy, and and I don't really mean it, but hey, you know what's grim? You know what's grim dark? Cancer. Cancer is pretty fucking Bone cancer is grim dark. Absolutely. And I don't need to, and I think you understand I'm not trying to make light of that or a joke of that or uh, demean a a genre, which I I love. I love dark fiction. I'm just saying that 
you know, you'll put on a few years and you start understanding. Uh, life offers a lot of pretty brutal, grim stuff already. Uh, you mentioned Jack Ketchum, and uh, I'm pretty sure about this. I think I read somewhere, this is totally at a side, that he, before he wrote horror, wrote some uh, other stuff, uh, one of which is titled Broken on the Wheel of Sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've never read it. I don't know if you can find it, but that title has stuck with me for a long time. I don't even want. I don't even want to know what it's about. That's <laughs> in my mind what I think it's about. Well, it's it's clearly about Pat Sajak, right? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it seems that suffering is seems to be one theme that uh, that was kind of highlighted during that that last go around. It seems to be that both suffering seems to be present in the fiction that we're, we're reading and suffering seems to be present in the music that we're listening to. Also, it seems to, to almost be a necessary ingredient into the artwork that we're putting out, um, where it's played at least some role in, into influencing uh, either what we write or what, we, what, what, what we're putting out. That's the thread that runs through all of humanity. That's what creates empathy is you can't be in another person's shoes so you see what they are going through and you relate it to how you feel how you would feel if you were going through that that's um you know the the reason i think we don't necessarily need a uh, a moral compass in the sense of a god is that we have that empathy that ability to feel pain and then see someone else in pain and take that onto ourselves does that mean that we're not truly caring about them or more caring about ourselves maybe in a way but um that makes you care about them is because you can relate to it human suffering is the the thing that ties humanity together and gives us one common experience so beyond redemption there, there's there's a little bit of suffering in the book a couple <laughs> of characters suffer a bit uh but I'm, I'm big on themes and so if you're paying attention every single character who's suffering they are living the results of their choices. Every single character is is like is making choices and dealing with their situation really badly. And kind of part of that was, um, yeah, we're we're suffering, but kind of very obliquely and probably um, not put terribly well. Um, you actually have choices you can make to get out of that. So I mean, that was my take on suffering, and that's sort of why the book is that way. We are our choices, and you can make different choices. You know, the one thing is, is that I love Kimu, uh, and one of the things he said, and I had to pull up the quote here, is that there is but one truly serious philosophical question, and that is suicide. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that that speaks to some of why we listen to the music we do and read the things we do, is, is because we do have these kinds of confrontations uh, with mortality. Um, and it's not sugarcoating anything. And really when it comes down to it, it is, you know, like I said, life is unfair. The universe doesn't care about you. These are people that are reflecting these themes. And at a certain point, you've really got to decide that. I mean, Camus is right. It's like, look, you know, life is, is essentially meaningless beyond the meaning we give it. Uh, and once you've stared in the face, do you, do you want to, you know, put a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger or, or do you want to keep going? And if you want to keep going, uh, you've got to decide how and why. And sometimes, uh, music and fantasy like this, uh, you know, is, is good company. You know, um, you don't want to listen to something that, 
you know, everything's rosy and, uh, you know, there's a God who loves you very much and cares about, uh, everything, you know, whether there's a blood in your spittle today and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's that, you know? Um, and, and I think by listening to that sort of thing, it doesn't, as people might misconceive, encourage suicide or what have you, but actually may give you uh, strength to go on. Uh, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks said, you know, it's just a ride. The ride is going to end <laughs> in a few decades. Uh, so one way or the other, you might as well try to get what you can out of it. I think the right. biggest uh, thing for me was uh, not giving a shit anymore <laughs> about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to give a shit all about so many things. And, you know, reading and writing and listening to music and playing music and all these things, uh, I wouldn't be doing any of it if I cared as much as I used to. So for me, just deciding, okay, I don't fucking care anymore, helped me so much in a creative way that I think I was stifled for so long because I cared too much about everything. I cared too much about what was going to happen in life and where I'm going and what I'm doing and the money I'm not making and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that escapism has helped me in a big way because just not not caring as much as as I used to has allowed me to finish things. It's allowed me to put myself in front of an audience. It's done wonders for my ego, which was already pretty inflated to begin with, but <laughs> it's 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 helped a lot in that regard. Do any of you see that as well from you your experiences really, with creativity? Do you think that's really possible though? I, I like to tell myself that I'm something of a a misanthrope and nihilist, but if I'm really honest with myself, I probably care way too much about almost everything. <laughs> I just everything seems to touch me way more deeply than than a lot of the people around me. I, I don't know if that's a creative and insightful thing that we're cursed with, but the the more I try not to care, it's it's very very difficult for me, especially on a on a macrocosm level, you know, I think of the, the poor and dying in Africa and I'll never see those people never touch my life in any way. And it still deeply bothers me. You know, why, why is that? What, what causes that? You know, I, what I want to add to that is, is maybe you need to think about it this way. Perhaps it's a, uh, it's you, uh, prioritizing, you know, none of us can say we don't care. You know, there are things we care about, but, it's uh, it's a matter of, of coming to terms with the fact that you don't have much time and there are things that you absolutely can and can't focus on. And uh, and you've got to, like Joseph Campbell wrote, you know, find your bliss. And I know that's kind of a new agey thing to say, but it's absolutely true. It's it gets back to, again, finding some kind of meaning uh, in life that's going to sustain you. And that's it, you know, and, and the whole fallacy of, you know, first world problems, it's, uh, you know, somewhere there's a baby starving, so shut up about the pain you have right now. It's it's that you can be these things. You can be all these things. You know, we don't have to just care about that, you know, and um, we can care about the things we love as well. And it's important for us as balanced people to find and care about the things we love. And, 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 you know, for me, it, it is stuff like fantasy fiction and creating things and it makes you a more uh, balanced person. Isn't my pain the worst in the world <laughs> for me? Because I can't, under, I can't feel your pain. I only can feel mine. So right. for every, every individual, 
their individual pain is the worst in the world. Well, it's good to get some perspective. I mean, I I just recently had a couple of weeks ago, Black Friday, as a matter of fact, I had uh, appendicitis um, and had surgery. Didn't wake up. You know, I wasn't thinking the day before Thanksgiving that I was going to have surgery. But, you know, it's it's uh, it was very painful. But you know, the surgery itself didn't, didn't frighten me in the least. I mean, I was like, well, fuck, I, you know, I gotta have it. It might as well be an adventure, right? <laughs> you know, enjoy it to the extent that you can, you know, it's a weird thing to have done. So, so it can, it can be like that as, as well. You know, it's a matter of, of keeping things in context. I, I wasn't thinking, oh my God, I have surgery. Someone else says, you know, whatever terminal illness. It was like, yeah, it's, it's my situation, but it's a ride, man. You know, makes me think of Fight Club when he goes to the doctor and, says, but I'm in pain. He said, you want to know pain? Go visit the guys with testicular cancer. That's Another great line for Fight Club, uh, even the Mona Lisa is falling apart. Exactly. Michael R. Fletcher, do you have some thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, let's throw it back to what Philip was talking about, the, the sort of um, the artistic bent, caring what people think. Um, I, I find myself, you know, I want to say like, oh, I write my book for me and I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. And I, certainly I don't give a shit is like a tagline for me. Uh, but the fact <laughs> is I have read every single review that anyone has written online about the book. And it's kind of an addiction. And luckily they've been mostly good. But like, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be reading this stuff, right? Do you have to every- fight yourself not to respond to the negative? Thing? Oh, fuck yeah. Like somebody was like, <laughs> my, one of the, there was like a two sentence review that said, such an amazing idea, such abysmal execution. Go. Oh, I'm like, ah, oh, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, like if, if, if someone's bitching about the amount of spitting or snot in the book, I'm like, all right, whatever. That's, you have a problem with spitting and snot and you your review tells us more about you than the book, right? <laughs> you know, when no one else is sort of bothered by this. But but that sort of like, you know, like, yeah, this this book is shit. <laughs> it's like, hey. Like, you ever want to ask him, hey, where's your take on the idea, you know? Yeah. Lewis Black said that he heard once in a mall, a lady behind him said, if it, if it wouldn't have been for my horse, I never would have gone to college. And he's been bugged the next, like, 10 years. What the hell did she mean? That's like that, when they put just a little sentence there that doesn't tell you very much. Like, what's wrong with it? Tell me. Give me more. I I just try to imagine that person is uh, wearing a fedora and uh, (laughs) a wispy-thin predator uh, mustache. Yeah, it helps me. It's like, plus, you man, some of those guys, you go back and you look at their history, and it's nothing but, you know, an articulate. Yeah, yeah, shit reviews, and you're like, all right, consider the but, source. But, Matt, you took the time to go look through their history. Oh, no, I'm not saying I don't care. I do care, of course. <laughs> I'm just saying that you got to consider the source, and that helps you deal with the frustration. And and sometimes somebody does have a really good point, you know, and you're like, all right, well, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think I think what I meant by don't give a shit isn't 100% not giving a shit. Of course I care if I get a shitty review. I don't ever have the urge to respond to them. Um, because I actually took one review that I got and I actually integrated it into the next story because uh, I use a lot of cursing in my stories and the person didn't like uh, that element. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make cursing actually a bad thing in my world, in my setting. And if you curse, bad things happen to you. And the characters didn't curse through the whole story until the very end. And then they just went, fuck, fucking, fucking, fuck, 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 at the end. <laughs> and... <laughs> That was my response to the review. It wasn't, I actually 
did care about the review and used it in a, I guess, in a creative way. But I think uh, dark fiction, especially, it has a very passionate fan base. So I think there's a delicate balance of the snot spit uh, <laughs> blood meter <laughs> and the emotional meter. So I think people, they want that balance and they don't want too much of one and not enough of the other. So it's it's same with metal, I think, is that uh, certain people are really into the animalistic growling kind of metal and some are into the more melodic metal. And it's the same with it, with any kind of thing. The, there's so many different varieties that, that people just are drawn more to. I'm more drawn to the visceral part of dark fantasy than I am necessarily emotional part but i like a wide variety of things so i think i think everybody has that like nobody just likes one thing or nobody wants to just listen to one thing uh well one thing i wanted to ask everybody what was about uh, baby metal which is very popular here in japan oh my god <laughs> what is your feeling about something like that marty friedman please go back to megadeth and leave the baby metal alone i got nothing what's baby metal it's basically the idol the idol thing in japan but it's mixed with metal for me it doesn't bother me as much as i think it bothers metal purists um but it's the same kind of feeling with like certain kinds of dark fiction that goes mainstream like i think some people don't like George Martin as much now because now he's mainstream and there's this kind of puritanism that comes with fiction or a genre like don't put your peanut butter in my chocolate kind of thing. But where do you um, draw the line? I mean, it's like a lot of my friends when I didn't like the black album and anything after that, they're like, Oh, you just don't like them now because they're popular. No, I like yourself. them now because they suck. I mean, there's, there's a difference, you know, that the quality went way downhill. It's not a matter of becoming more popular. Cliff Burton was the soul of Metallica. Exactly. Second that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, that it's, it's especially, and again, I, keep, I hate to keep harping on as I've gotten older, but, but I, the last few years have been really uh, real growth experiences for me. And um, I, it's, it's more for me a question of, for me or not for me, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff on TV that's not for me. It doesn't make it suck. You know, when you're, when you're 15 years old, anything you don't like is because you like quality and everybody else likes, you know, crap. And, uh, it's, it's not that way. Uh, as I don't, I don't understand, I don't know what pure, you know, purity is when it comes to music or literature. And I have always been, and some people are like this, some people aren't, I've always been a broadcaster in the sense that if i like something everybody around me in a hundred foot radius is going to hear about it because i want to share it but i don't think there's anything wrong with in a discussion and critique to decide that something is superior to something else that doesn't mean you're saying to someone else what you like is you know you're stupid for liking that you can't like that anymore yeah you can go and listen to that all you want i think it sucks you can't, but but there's that objectivity you have to watch for the whole like uh, this is superior. It's a matter of taste. If what if you can give good reasons, there has to be. And I've gone over this so many times, and there's no answer to it. The aesthetic view versus the technical, but there's got to be some form of rules that allow us to spot that. This is Vietnam, Smokey. There's rules. 
That's, that's, we, gotta, we must be able to see that Mozart is superior to Lincoln Park. I mean, there's got to be a way that, that you can, can what, recognize, recognize these things. It can't be just a matter of taste. Uh, yeah, Mozart's superior for Lincoln Park unless you're a huge Lincoln Park fan and you relate to them. And uh, in Lincoln Park, Mozart, it, it, well, look, he's not here now, so we can't say, but Mozart is uh, is not as good as making a- a- angsty teen metal. <laughs> it's a matter of, you know, like, you know, it's like saying it's going to a steakhouse and saying, damn it, their breakfast isn't nearly as good as, <laughs> you know, the diner down the street. Well, no kidding. You know, you go there for freaking steak. They do steak really well, and the diner doesn't offer that too good. I was going to have one more topic if you wanted to maybe touch on it for a moment. And that was kind of in regards to how dark is too dark. Um, during the last season of, say, Game of Thrones, people started rage quitting the show for uh, themes and content that uh, they found objectionable, maybe a little bit too dark for uh, their palettes. Sometimes that can happen in music. Sometimes that can happen in fiction. Is there a point where it's just too dark and you got to put the shit down and you can't read it anymore? Um, or have you guys noticed that at all in the past or dealt with that? Start with uh, Michael R. Fletcher. Sure. I, I, you know, I've, I've never seen anything that was too dark. Uh, I have seen stuff that was too gratuitous. You know, if, it, if it's dark and serving a purpose, fine. I, I saw nothing in the Game of Thrones last season that was too dark or that was gratuitous. To me, all everything, all the shitty things that happened made sense with the characters involved. And and that's sort of like, for me, the um, the ruler you hold it up against. You know, like, does it make sense for these characters? Is it moving the story? You know, r- a random rape scene for, for no reason whatsoever? Yeah, that's, we don't need that. You know, but if it's, if it's moving the story, I'm okay with it. It was a lot of people getting upset over, frankly, nothing that we haven't seen a million times before. Like, really? You're getting upset over, a, like, the scene with Sansa, like, have you not watched TV in the last 30 fucking years? The fuck, you know, like, there was nothing new. So, no, there's, there's, I've never seen anything too dark. Dallas. Michael said it exactly right. Is it gratuitous or does it move the story forward? Um, one of the darkest movies was a movie with Kevin Bacon, and his, his wife was in it called The Woodcutter, and he was a, a pedophile. And very difficult subject subject matter, but it, it did it so well, you were able to not relate to him, but have a certain sympathy for what he went through and how hard he tried to change his nature, who he was. And so in the right hands, written the right way, almost anything can, can have a, a purpose that means something that takes a story somewhere. But right, if it's just gratuitous just for shock value or whatever just to killing off a character for you know no reason whatsoever other than to boost ratings or shock some people i have no use for that yeah i think it's the same thing and it's also a matter of uh where your sensibilities lie you know i will turn off in a heartbeat anything that kills a dog or cat for (laughs) for no reason um and uh that that probably says a lot about me Wow. You know, one of the darkest things I've ever seen in my life is not a fantasy or horror film. It's uh, Todd Salon's film, Happiness. And it's it's very ironically named. Uh, it's, you know, uh, one character's a uh, pedophile. Uh, another one's like some just uh, sex pervert, creepy type. You know, there's another angry. It's, it's really a really dark freaking film and it has nothing to do with zombies. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like Requiem for a Dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that I was fucked that. up. 
Yeah, I love that movie. Me too. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, you know bad um, when Michael R. Fletcher says that was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the uh, on the other side, uh, I've tried several times to watch The Walking Dead, and I and I even tried The Fear of the Walking Dead, and everybody says, well, you didn't give long enough. Well, I gave it three seasons, you know, and uh, I it it bores the crap out of me. That for me is is an example of something that's just miserable and and dull. Even though I'm a huge, huge, huge zombie. And horror fan, you know, I love the comics. I read most, uh, a lot of them, up until the after the first season of the TV show. See, I find The Walking Dead to be a drama with zombies as a. Well, the best ones are all the best zombie films are, but all the best best zombie books. But it's just leaden and slow for me, and and I don't care about any of the characters. I I like the show, but some there was some internet meme calling it like arguing with zombies in the background. And, and that, yeah. <laughs> that print that really is it. It's like uh, here we have the long scene where everyone sits down and talks about how different it is and how they're trying to cope, and then the zombies show up. It's like right. every episode, it's the same thing. Oh, I hate. Like, I just hate all the characters. Like uh, the uh, what's his name, uh, Rick. Like oh, nobody asked me to be the leader. It's like hey, nobody <laughs> asked your bitchy ass to be the leader. <laughs> and B, shut the fuck up. It's not a totalitarian dictatorship unless you're the one that's making it such. Rick especially has such an interesting arc of back and forth and back and forth. And I guess it can get a little volleyball tiresome after a while, but Coral, I enjoy it. Coral. Coral. Yeah, this is- <laughs> I love those. <laughs> those are great memes. I love those. Uh, but The Walking Dead is something that I can wax on for a moment, too, because that's that's a show that I, I do enjoy immensely. I watch every episode as soon as I can. right? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, wax on. Right, right. Um, but uh, I, I enjoy the show, and I think its its strength is I, I both like the um, visual effects that are done by Greg Nicotero with the uh, um, the special effects and the makeup and everything that's done is done extremely well. And also like the themes of that it's not even really the zombies that are that are the issue. It's just the what how are you going to handle yourself at the end of the world uh, when the shit goes down? How how is everybody going to to make make this thing work and how, how do, what do we learn about ourselves um, through that? And uh, I know that season two fucking sucked for a lot of people and it, it didn't uh, get, let people carry on with the show. So yeah, it's just, it, it resonates for some people and for some people it doesn't even people who love Romero and love zombies. Um, the walking dead just doesn't click for them, but uh, it's interesting. But the, I, I find I'm, that show does appeal to me. Um, I don't think it's ever done anything too dark. I love the, the scenes where uh, zombies are used as human shields and all that fun stuff. But uh, it has had some pretty dark themes within the show as well, uh, with um, children getting killed and uh, you know yeah, dark things I, happening as well. So. About to say the episode with with Lizzie being a, a child psychopath. That's one of the darkest things I've ever seen on TV. But good God, how many episodes did they have a lost baby or something in? It It dragged for a while. When the little girl kills her little sister because she thinks she'll come back and be different and better and she wants to pray, that was just hard to watch. I just thought it was brilliant. The genre, I don't watch anything because of the genre. I don't give it an automatic pass if it has zombies or elves in it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like zombie stuff for the most part. It's all been done. There's very little new you can do with it. But The Walking Dead to me is about the characters, and I'm interested in the characters and how they survive. Who's not going to survive? It's it's. If you want to read a really good zombie book, check out uh, The Reapers Are the Angels. It's uh, it's almost as if it's a southern gothic zombie novel. 
It's amazing. After Simon Clark's uh, Blood Crazy, they just all kind of subpar after that one. Yeah, check out Reapers of the Angels. I'll try that one. And then as far as metal music, I mean, it used to be when we were younger, I mean, it was extreme. It was not viewed well or positively within the uh, social milieu. But can metal be too heavy these days? Is there metal that's coming out that's just too hardcore and too brutal for for people like us to handle? Or is it just kind of acceptable these days? Uh, It's it's an addiction, right? And, you know, you you always need a little bit more crack. Um, it It started with Iron Maiden. And when, you know, I was, I got into Iron Maiden and that was like, that was the heaviest shit in the world. Then I heard Metallica and I was like, oh, fucking hell, that is way too heavy. I cannot listen to this. It's too heavy. A year later, you know, it's a kill them all and ride the lightning. That's all I'm listening to. And then sometime after that, it's uh, like Pantera. And it's like, well, fuck, this is crazy. This is too heavy. Like that guy's not even singing. He's almost, he's just screaming. And then. (laughs) You know, and now it's uh, like, oh, cattle, de- cattle decapitation. You're like, fuck, that shit's too heavy. It's like, no, no, it's not. Um, so, like, every year it's, uh, you know, my taste, and maybe it's not everyone. Every year it's kind of getting worse. It's getting heavier. You know, I haven't seen the point where it can stop. There's no such thing as too heavy. I'm a melody guy. It can be as heavy as it wants to be as long as there's melody. I love the Gothenburg mellow death stuff like soul work and in flames dark tranquility very heavy but still has a has melody in it go back to sepultura arise and beneath the remains still has melody but the stuff that has no sense of melody that's just noise like dillinger escape plan and that genre or even the raw black metal stuff i just I, i can't get into it it just has no sense of melody whatsoever and so that's too heavy to me is when you lose all sense of a song and it's just bludgeoning. I kind of like some of the uh, Dillinger Escape Plan stuff because I'm I'm more into experimental music these days more than uh, a typical structure. Uh, I like uh, the album Mike Patton did with Dillinger Escape Plan was really good. I thought um, Mike Patton's one of the most melodic singers I think that exists and he's one of the most yeah. versatile singers. Well, I and uh, uh, like in a dream theater, even really crazy jazz stuff like spiral architect, but there's just no sense of a song to the Dillinger and those types of bands to me personally, but I, I love really off time odd arrangements and that sort of thing. But still I want there to be something I can latch on to some theme or melody that runs through it i think uh Patton's phantomous uh project was kind of unlistenable for a lot of people <laughs> they had dave lombardo on drums too yeah but i think it uh i think it had a thematic thing even with uh they did a whole album that was covers of uh movie yeah movie uh soundtrack themes which i thought was really awesome yeah, and like to have Dave Lombardo playing drums, you know that that gives it about as much metal cred as possible, <laughs> really. Yeah, exactly. I was going to add, uh, well, not add, but agree with you, Dallas. I am a melody kind of guy, uh, and actually, I am not really into weird time timing and stuff like that. If we get into you know strange no song structure, actually, I'm I'm more likely to listen to like you know Godspeed You Black Emperor or something like that rather than than metal. 
Uh, and um, you know, just to, to add to the is it too loud or too extreme thing, let me put forth the entirely non-controversial but probably true opinion that metal has lost its its grip or ability to frighten the uh, the mass population. I mean, uh, rap is kind of where it's at for that. I mean, nobody uh, nobody's worried about what effect metal has on their kids because uh, a lot of them just don't even either grew up with the adults grew up with it and realized that most of it's safe as milk. Or uh, or the kids just aren't listening to it as much. Uh, well, the funny thing is that at this point, we are the adults, which I think we keep right. forgetting. We're, <laughs> we're the people with kids. And so, you know, we're the metalheads. And we're kind of, obviously, we didn't turn out fine. We're all completely fucked up. But, um, <laughs> like the rest of the adults. Yeah. But, like, we are the people would, who would have to be upset by metal. And it's like, yeah, but that's what I'm listening to. Um, and, yeah, rap. Rap. I fucking hate rap. Personal taste. But well, like, hey, it's it's all right here and there. I'm not a yeah, you know. Since but Marilyn, yeah, since Marilyn Manson, there hasn't been a new one to come along that's been able to shock the mainstream. I mean, Miley Cyrus is more shocking to the mainstream now than any any metal band. So you know, yeah, I agree. Someone who comes along, but you've got to shake the mainstream sensibilities, and and that's harder to do now. And as I get older, even taste-wise, I, I still love metal, but I find fewer and fewer bands that I just really love. And when I was a kid, every band, you know, just about every album that had a cool cover I was going to love. And now it's, you know, one in a hundred that really strikes me and that, that I listen to more than once. So, yeah, most of the things that. Sorry. Let me uh, jump in here. There's no doubt that Go the ahead. industry, the the metal industry itself, has transformed drastically since we uh, initiated our uh, journey into heavy metal. Uh, what a decade, two, three, four ago. Um, so uh, it, it is a, it is a new beast these days, and I would agree with Matt that uh, you know it doesn't have that same ability to uh, shock as much anymore. Uh, it doesn't seem to be as much new and exciting things happening in metal as there used to be. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you just have to go a little deeper and uh, and listen. Try try to find stuff. For one thing, it's harder as a as an adult with uh, responsibilities um, and no little to no involvement in your local youth culture music scene because uh, you're creepy and out of place there. <laughs> So, um, for the most part, kids will think you're that. Uh, it's harder to find new stuff, but yeah, there's tons of metal that still excites me. I just don't care about shocking, per se. I mean, I love, like, Kylesa, like I mentioned, Torsh, Mastodon, The Sword, all these all these bands that are either on the kind of edge of, of being sort of post-metal or sludge metal, or you know, but they have a sense of harmony. You know, like uh, Torsh's album... Uh, and that's T O R C H E Meanderthal with an M is I mean super super melodic and I don't know if you'd call it metal but it's it's you know certainly not the band that most people are familiar with but uh, but it, it it excites me a whole lot. I have a little different take on it. One of you guys did sound so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But when we were growing up. This over-compression thing was in a deal where everybody's just trying to get louder and squashing all the sound. We had dynamics. Now, yeah. rock and metal don't need it as bad as, say, classical or others, but the modern way of engineering gives everything a sameness to me. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, everything sounds a lot alike, so you really got to do something special to, to sound different, in my ears anyway. Yeah, and these days, uh, you're dealing with a lot of computer production. Half the guitars you're listening to, it, it's they're, they're not real amps. It's somebody playing through a computer plug-in. Uh, mm. The drums are all triggered samples, so the drums all sound the same. And then everything is being absolutely compressed to shit, so it has zero dynamic range, and it is the loudest album possible. And you can hear things pumping and breathing in the background every time the drummer hits a kick drum, yeah. you know. And yeah, it's uh, that is uh, dynamics is excitement, and you yep. take away all the dynamics, and you are robbing your music of excitement. But then it's also not going to be as loud. And apparently now we are too lazy to reach over and turn up the volume <laughs> on the stereo, which is what we used to do. I mean, we didn't, even too have, loud. we didn't even have remote controls back when I was a kid. You had to turn up the over. radio. I want some music. Yeah. Give me some. <laughs> yeah. The kid was the remote control. So like, you know, yeah, the dynamics is a uh, sucking music. I still most of the bands I like come from Europe. Um, a lot of the prog power stuff. I don't like the happy-go-lucky uh, power metal that I used to like, but I like the, you know, American band, but Ice Earth and that sort of feel that's aggressive but still very melodic. I like a lot of that kind of stuff. And then the the, the progressive stuff, Catatonia, Opeth, probably my favorite band. I worship King Diamond. Um, a lot of the old bands are still the ones that I like the most. Uh, not a lot of brand new bands that I can think of right offhand that really have grabbed me. I love stoner and sludge metal and uh, post metal. That's that's kind of where I am now. Uh, and uh, it's funny you mentioned King Diamond. Um, did you ever call the King Diamond Hotline when you were a kid? It used to come on uh, MTV Headbangers Ball. It was oh, like yeah. an eight hundred number. Oh, it was yeah. like. Hey, this is King Diamond. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's a the song about the welcome home. You know about yeah. the evil grandma. My wife and I joke about that shit all the time. It's awesome, Mickey D. Evil grandma. Sorry. I think Abigail's probably the most perfect album ever made. I'm a big gamer, and uh, I think I believe Matt mentioned earlier Dungeons and Dragons, and I think Dungeons and Dragons had a symbiotic relationship with metal in a lot of ways. I think a lot of uh, D and D players listened to to metal and were into the uh, imagery that was connected to it. Uh, did any of you see uh, metal and tabletop gaming kind of go hand in hand, or do you kind of separate those two? All right, you know, let's let's be honest here. We're all guys that are you know I don't know all your ages, but I'm assuming 30s, 40s, stuff like that. So we're t we're just talking about the 80s. You know, we came of age in the 80s, and heavy metal and Dungeons and Dragons uh, were part of the uh, the youth culture at the time. So of course, I all my D and D buddies loved uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and most of my Dungeons and Dragons buddies loved D and D. Um, and uh, and again, it's it's another example of of you know, how to use your imagination and uh, sometimes it's overflowing and not getting used too much in a, uh, a dull, uh, more abundant environment. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's just sort of a, a bleed over between the two bands like uh, like once again, the the sword. I interviewed uh, J.D. Cronize, Cronies, whatever the guitarist name is. And that guy loves fantasy novels, you know, loves role playing stuff, whatever you can think of. And and so of course there's a connection there. There's been a fantasy element of uh, of a uh, metal uh, since its earliest days. You know, with 
even yeah. the proto metal stuff like Blue yeah, Oyster Cult. and Rainbow kind of. Yeah, stuff. all his videos all look like uh, something that escaped from a, you know, fifteen-year-old uh, dungeon master's mind. You know, <laughs> with like a, you know, him swinging a sword and stuff like that. So, so yeah, and again, it's you know, I I will clearly admit to you that I love one of the reasons I love D and D besides the world building and uh, and you know whole shit talking with friends is uh, the escapism. I mean, I completely yeah. agree with Matt. But I had a different experience where I grew up. I was about the only metalhead there, and I dove into books, fantasy, and horror. And started with horror and moved more into fantasy with Salvatore and Higman and Weiss and all of those authors from the Dragon Lamps and all. I never, I have still to this day never played Dungeons and Dragons. Would have loved to, just didn't have any friends that were into it. I played a game called Champions a few times, but not a lot of role playing. So it didn't have a huge effect on me getting into metal or vice versa, but mainly because I didn't have access to it. Uh, for me, most of my friends, I was the only metalhead in the role playing group at high school. And the rest of the group, they all turned out to be physicists and computer engineers, which is really <laughs> weird. Like I literally was like this token artsy in the group. And uh, so like metal and role playing, I, I understand probably for most people there is a connection, but for me they're they're really they're kind of wasn't in terms of social, you know, setting. Um, but I actually even now in my forties, I still get together every Monday with the same group of guys from high school. We still role play. And it's still fucking awesome. It's been a, an intriguing uh, conversation. I can't wait for folks to hear it. So let's just uh, wrap up and come bring this thing to a close. Uh, let each of you kind gentlemen uh, give our listeners your contact information, and then we will wrap it up. So Michael R. Fletcher, uh, let folks know uh, maybe where they can buy your book and where they can find you online. Uh, you can buy my book anywhere books are, to all the typical places. And if I have to spell it out to you, then you probably can't read my book. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can find me on Facebook uh, at some address that I don't know. Um, <laughs> my webpage, it's, this is insane, it's michaelrfletcher.com. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and on Twitter, I would like you to come up with that. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> so long. And I, can you believe no one else grabbed it before me? Like, wow. Anyway, uh, Twitter at FletcherMR. And that's me. Very cool. And Dallas. Um, you can find my debut novel out on Winlock Press. It's available, like Michael said, it pretty much everywhere. My next one will be out, I believe, in March, uh, the second one in this series. Find me at winlockpress.com, uh, Facebook, just search Dallas Mulligan. Can't be that many of us. Twitter, I believe it's author Dallas Mulligan at I believe that's correct. Maybe just Dallas Mulligan. Again, search. Can't be that many of us. Excellent. And Matt? Yeah, you can find me uh, any any kind of hate mail you want to send my way uh, through <laughs> Michael R. Fletcher and Care of. Uh, <laughs> no, you can you can find my my writing uh, and various other uh, dawdlings about the web on uh, it's voodoo.com, S U V U D U. Dot com. Again, I don't represent that site. It's it's just my job. If you want to come after me, come after me. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Matt Staggs, M-A-T-T-S-T-A-G-G-S. I also have a neglected website at uh, mazesandmythos.com. 
Well, that brings our first grim panel to the conclusion, Metal and Dark Fiction. Our guests have been Michael R. Fletcher, Dallas Mulliken, and Matt Staggs. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. You can find us on Facebook.com slash The Grim Tidings Podcast or hit us up on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. We do have another panel scheduled for February presently. It will be a horror writing and publishing panel as well. So look forward to that. We also have a fantasy and an urban fantasy uh, panel in the works as well. So more grim panel goodness to come your way in 2016. And lastly, gentlemen, uh, including you, Philip, um, let's have your New Year's resolution. So 2015, uh, I got an amazing momentum going. I wrote two books, finished them, edited them. uh, And then I completely burned out. And uh, for the last couple of months, I've uh, achieved a uh, really a lot of fuck all. Um, <laughs> so I would I would like to try and find some of that momentum again, and um, and then maybe stop living off grilled cheese sandwiches and whiskey. <laughs> no, Michael, no. <laughs> grilled cheese sandwiches and whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and Dallas, what do you have uh, planned for the new year? Uh. I resolve not to make any resolutions because I won't keep them. So it's a waste, complete waste of my time. Um, I try every year to do do something and never make it more than a week. So I don't know. Maybe my resolution will be to get Michael to get momentum and write my next book for me. <laughs> let him ghostwrite it or something. Because I'm sitting in that same thing. Motivation, motivation. Yeah. Really smash your face against the keyboard so many times before you're like, maybe I'll just stop for a while. Exactly. No, my big goal is to figure out this marketing thing. I have a, you know, a decent book out, getting great reviews, got a great cover, and nobody knows who the hell I am or that I have a book out. So I've got to got to work on that. Figure out figure out this promoting thing a little better, which I do not enjoy. But that'll be my resolution. Try to learn how to promote. Very cool. And Matt. I want to get back to training. Uh, I've still got to recover from uh, my uh, appendix surgery. Uh, so January 15th, I'll be cleared to hit the gym again. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, otherwise, I'd like to expand my writing a lot more. Uh, I have a lot to uh, to write about when it comes to uh, mythology and, uh, you know, uh, the odder corners of culture and history. So that's something I, I really want to uh, push forward with. Very cool. And Philip Overby, what do you have? Uh, what are you resolving to do in 2016, my friend? I'm probably going to quit doing this podcast because I'm kind of <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> that was my one goal. Um, huh. It's taking up too much of my fucking time, honestly, Rob. I just got to. I got to do some other shit. It's not the, it wasn't the guest, was it? Well, <laughs> no, now no, that no. was dark. That was, <laughs> that was grim dark. No, I think uh, you know. Obviously, I want to continue doing the show. We had awesome guests this year. Um, we have some more awesome ones coming next year. Uh, some dreams coming true. Some surreal moments I've had. Talking to R.A. Salvatore specifically was really surreal for me. I grew up reading him. Uh, continue to publish Splatter Elf stuff and continue to create fantasy that's uh, half stupid and half bloody and another part fucked up so, <laughs> so has, that's kind of my goal it has more than two halves <laughs> yeah it's that's gonna be i just thick, break i break all the rules when it comes to math that's gonna be a thick book boy it turns up it and, goes to 11 it goes to 11. <laughs> yeah. 
And the last thing is continue playing in my band. Uh, that's been fun. It's also very surreal to, to be playing in Japan and playing shows at clubs and stuff. Well, I've had a very good uh, 2015 in addition to starting this show with you, Phil. Um, I've lost almost about 100 pounds um, through, through the course of this year. So I've got a few more pounds to go for 2016. So I'm uh, looking forward to be fit and healthy in 2016. And continuing this show, uh, we can let folks know um, just for a little nugget for listening to this panel episode, I was going to announce a few of the guests that we have coming on the show. Uh, those include Joe Abercrombie, uh, Stephen Erickson, uh, Michael J. Sullivan, uh, Richard Kadenak, Delilah Dawson, and Austin Habershaw are all booked and confirmed for 2016. So we have some exciting interviews uh, to come your way for the show. So uh, uh, thanks again to everybody who uh, took the time to listen to this first uh, Grim panel today. Panelists and Philip guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, on the panel today. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having so us. Enjoyed it. Thank you. To all those listening, have a great and awesome and Grim Darky. 2016. Uh, thanks for listening uh, to this first grim panel episode. Take care and have a great new year.